At Iowa Public Radio, we have recordings from significant periods in history. The menace of communism has become worldwide. I would suggest we test our policy in Vietnam. In the 1960s, the United States military role escalates in Vietnam. The draft is another thing coming up against my religious belief. The civil rights movement gains momentum. We must struggle passionately to get rid of every aspect of racial injustice. A congressional commission is formed to provide answers about the civil unrest across the country. The system has copped out on black people. We must change our white attitudes of complacency. In the 70s, there is a struggle to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. There is no guaranteed legal equality for women in any state. With one person in particular leading the charge against it. All it does is to force us into the gender-free mold. And an Iowa legislator makes women rights a priority during her three decades in office. You know, I remember when feminist was a wonderful term, but it's been demeaned out there and how we're going to go to hell. This is From the Archives. It's a new podcast from Iowa Public Radio. All of these moments about Vietnam, civil rights, and women's rights come from recently rediscovered tapes from our archives. Mr. President, we dedicate this library... On this episode, we go to West Branch, Iowa in 1962 for the dedication of Herbert Hoover's presidential library on his birthday. Now it is exactly 88 years since I first came to Iowa. (laughs) Much of his presidency is marked by the Great Depression, but before and after his only term, he guides international famine relief efforts. And in the war-shattered aftermath, I've directed the reconstruction of scores of nations. The American people are fascinated with presidents. Historian Tim Walsh says in the 21st century, many people don't recognize the former president's voice. So sound makes a difference in the way we think about presidents. The intangible spirit. This 1962 speech is one of the last Hoover gives before dying two years later. Sometimes it's hard to understand what he was saying, but those words were important. That word America carries meanings which I lie deep in the soul of our people. Herbert Hoover and his last major public appearance with analysis from historian Tim Walsh on this, the first episode of Iowa Public Radio's From the Archives. I'm your host, John Pimble. of the Herbert Hoover Birthplace Foundation, this is a moment of a dream's fulfillment and a moment of honor. It's August 10th, 1962 in West Branch, Iowa. We dedicate the Herbert Hoover Presidential Library and may the years... Dignitaries speak from the porch of the Herbert Hoover Museum, like University of Iowa President Virgil Hancher. I find particular pleasure in the dedication of this Presidential Library barely 10 miles from the university campus in Iowa City. President Hoover is given honorary degrees. So it is with great admiration that I present to you a certificate of professional engineer. Hoover is an engineer, and the Iowa Society of Engineers gives him a practice of engineering license. Well, this is Hoover also receives an honorary Doctor of Laws degree from the University of Missouri. I have always had a high opinion for the uh, intellectual capacity and the conclusions of college faculty. 
<laughs> and when they say such things as this about me, they must be true. <laughs> the former president takes the stage to address the thousands gathered in this small Iowa town. I was taken from this village to the far west 78 years ago. By the time Hoover was 10 years old, both of his parents had died, and he moved to live with his uncle in the state of Oregon. The only material assets which I had were two dimes in my pocket, the suit of clothes that I wore, and I had some extra underpinnings provided by loving aunts. On this day in 1962, it is Herbert Hoover's 88th birthday. Now it is exactly 88 years since I first came to Iowa. <laughs> since that visit, I have seen much of people, of governments, of their institutions, and of human woe. In his 20s, Hoover worked in Australia to scout and manage old mines. By 1899, his skills took him to China as a chief engineer opening new mines. This is also during the Boxer Rebellion, where he had to learn how to negotiate with various factions during this violent period. I have lived under governments of free men, of kings, of dictators, and under fascists, and under communists. But uppermost in the minds and prayers, of all of the plain people everywhere is that war should cease and that peace should come to the world. During World War I, he chaired the Commission for Relief in Belgium to provide food and medicine to war-torn Europe. After the war, he established the American Relief Administration to help children in Europe displaced by war. This all happened before his one presidential term began in 1929. Well after his time in the White House, the Cold War emerges. Part of this tension between the United States and the Soviet Union centers around what other nations these superpowers would influence, like in Africa, Latin America, and Asia. Today, the menace of communism has become worldwide. Hoover says the United Nations is undermined by communist nations. If the free nations are to survive, they must have a new and stronger worldwide organization to meet this menace. For purposes of this discussion, I may call it the Council of Free Nations. It should include only those nations who are willing to stand up and fight for their freedom and their independence. He says Americans will always face periods of hardship, but when that happens, they should tap into their optimism. The mightiest uh, assurance of our future and the intangibles are the intangible spiritual and intellectual forces in our people, and which we express not by calling it the United States, but by the word America. That word America carries meanings which I lie deep in the soul of our people. Hoover says this spirit will inspire solutions. And in conclusion, may say I may I say to the boys and girls of America that the doors of opportunity are still open to you 
Today, the durability of freedom is more secure in your country than any place in the world. And may God bring you even more great blessings. I thank you. Herbert Hoover, on his 88th birthday, speaking in his hometown, West Branch, Iowa, on the day his presidential library opens. It was his last visit to Iowa before dying two years later. In the two years that followed, there were no other public addresses or speeches. Historian Tim Walsh has studied the life of Herbert Hoover. We were in an ideological struggle with communism. And so when Hoover got up there as a former president, what he was saying is, we have to be vigilant, we have to stand up. Tim Walsh sets the political scene in 1962 and identifies some of the challenges Hoover sees for the future. Next, on Iowa Public Radio's From the Archives, I'm John Pimble. The American people are fascinated with presidents. Tim Walsh is the former and longest serving director of the Herbert Hoover Presidential Library and Museum. And for most people, it's the museum which is what interests them. Walsh retired in 2011, but continues to share the nuances of Hoover's life, career, and presidency. Herbert Hoover is somebody that I think most historians discover based on the knowledge they had back in the 11th grade. He was the president during the Great Depression, and they perceived the presidency as a failure. In 1928, he won the presidential election in a landslide, but in 1929, the economy collapses. He did a great deal, but not enough. He loses the 1932 election by a huge margin to Franklin Roosevelt. Hoover was critical of Roosevelt's New Deal program, and over the next decade, he constantly attacks Roosevelt's policies, but backs off as the United States enters World War II. After Roosevelt dies in office in 1945, President Harry Truman reaches out to Hoover to seek out solutions for the famine due to the war. Truman places Hoover on the Famine Emergency Committee, and he travels across the world coordinating famine relief. They were men who came to work together after World War II to feed the rest of the world, to reorganize the executive branch of government, as Hoover and Truman did together. And it's that, that friendship and so valuable to us. When Truman exits the White House in 1953, Truman and Hoover are the only two living ex-presidents and develop a close friendship. Truman is one of the dignitaries attending the dedication of Hoover's presidential library. It's not the first time these two former presidents have attended a library opening together. When Truman dedicated his library in July of 57, he invited Hoover to come and deliver remarks. The first presidential library system started in 1939 with Roosevelt while he was still in office to house his personal and presidential papers. Then in 1955, the Presidential Libraries Act is established by Congress. And so what you have beginning first with the Roosevelt and then with the Truman Presidential Library, Eisenhower opens a library in April of 62, and it's like boxcars on a train. One president after another has donated his papers to the government, and finally in 1978, because of Watergate, there is a law passed to, to make the presidential records public records. So yes, presidents do have private materials as well, but the records of the presidency go to a presidential library if in fact the president decides to build a presidential library. Mr. President, 
We dedicate this building to the climate and living spirit of American enterprise and opportunity. Everyone is assembled on the grass in front of the, the library building. In these records there are, no doubt, many unfavorable remarks. He had a sort of a stool to kind of rest himself on. He was in front of the podium, he wasn't sitting down. As well as the expressions of appreciation by our friends. Hoover had this flat nasal voice. He read his speeches, you know, that he himself would have written. We may hope that future students will rely upon our friends for consultation. <laughs> Hoover was very proud of the fact that he did not rely on speechwriters. So every word you hear is, is something not only that he approved, but most likely had constructed himself. Today, the menace of communism has become worldwide. Throughout the 1950s, what, what precedes this, and, and really going back to the years immediately after World War II, we were in an ideological struggle with communism. The disintegrating force in the United Nations are the communist nations who are its membership. He believed that, that the more developed countries, the, the more economically stronger countries needed to step in to sort of resolve conflicts that were ongoing in Africa and Asia and elsewhere. Hoover proposes the creation of a Council of Free Nations. Hoover compares it to the League of Nations which existed from 1920 through 1946. When the United Nations formed in 1945, some aspects of the League of Nations were incorporated. I do not suggest that the Council of Free Nations should replace the United Nations when the United Nations is prevented from taking action or if it fails to act to preserve peace. Then the Council I have suggested of Free Nations should step in. Hoover was an ardent advocate for international authority and control. He was clearly conscious of the fact that the world was listening to him. The speech also was featured as front page news in the New York Times the next day. What Hoover had to say was important. The communist leaders for 40 years have repeatedly asserted that no peace can come to the world until they have overcome the free nations. When Hoover got up there as a former president talking about the ideological threat of communism and the importance of international cooperation among free nations, what he was saying is, we have to be vigilant, we have to stand up. Uh, and that's in some ways extremely remarkable for an 88-year-old man. He at that point is the oldest, except for John Adams, uh, the, the longest living of former presidents. So. You realized in Hoover, no matter how old he got, he always saw commitment to a better world as one of his goals. That word America. He probably knew at that time that this is one of the last public speeches that he would give. It has guided us through even greater crises in our past. He was physically uh, declining. He, he was, health was okay, but he'd gone through uh, you know, uh, several medical procedures, and quite frankly, at the age of 88, uh, he was long past the life expectancy for a man born in 1874, I can assure you of that. It arises from our pride in the great accomplishments of our nation and from the sacrifices and devotion of those who have passed on. He may not be the greatest 
president of the United States, but he's accorded a lot of, of recognition for his achievement, not only in, in engineering and geology, but also, for example, the, the, the Commerce Department building in Washington, D.C., the headquarters of the Commerce Department, is named for Herbert Hoover. And of course, there's Hoover Dam. If you're looking for a, a recognition of Herbert Hoover that really reflects his value system, it's Hoover Dam. In October 1964, Herbert Hoover dies at the age of 90 in New York. After the funeral on the East Coast, his body is brought to Iowa to be interred at his presidential library. The casket was brought down in a hearse. People stopped their cars. They lined the interstate, paying their respects to Hoover as the hearse passed to come to West Branch. They had 75,000 people for the funeral. I mean, people don't remember Hoover, but he was considered a great man as late as 1964. In the 60s, the museum size was around 4,000 square feet. Today, it's near 50,000. So it's grown exponentially. And in fact, there's a story when Truman went through and looked around and said, Mr. President, this is fine, but it's too damn small given your career. And Herbert Hoover responded, yes, Mr. President, you're probably right, but knowing the federal government, it'll grow over time. And both men were right. It was too damn small and it did grow over time. But the Hoover is still the smallest of the presidential libraries within the system of, of 13. And no doubt will stay that way. Tim Walsh is the former director of the Herbert Hoover Presidential Library and Museum. He's been researching the life of Hoover since the late 1980s. On the next episode of From the Archives... It is a very great honor for me to be here. We come back to the Hoover Museum in 1965 as then-former Vice President Richard Nixon pays tribute to the life of Herbert Hoover. We can honor him as the great humanitarian. But most of his speech is not about Hoover. We are fighting in Vietnam to prevent World War III. Nixon delivers a full-throated endorsement of the recent escalation in Vietnam, and it's this speech that helps launch him to becoming the next president of the United States. From the Archives is a podcast exploring significant points in history that took place in Iowa through recently rediscovered recordings from Iowa Public Radio's archive. I'm your host, John Pemble. Producing this series with me is Catherine Perkins, Caitlin Troutman, and Rick Brewer. Additional help comes from Matt Alvarez, Jordan Bonson, Matt Searin, Andrea Hansen, and Dennis Reese, who found these recordings in our basement. Funding comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Subscribe to this series and rate it wherever you like to listen to podcasts and tell a friend to do the same. From the Archives is a production of Iowa Public Radio.